I hope you guys are ready as we now really kind of launch our journey here in 2 Corinthians. The theme of our whole series is comfort for every season of life. And probably in no part of the book of 2 Corinthians is that more clear uh, than these next few verses that we'll cover tonight, beginning uh, really looking back one verse to verse 3, but really moving from chapter 1 and verse 3 on down through verse 11. You see, the truth of it is this. Whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, whether you are good or whether you are evil, whether you're a man or a woman or whether you're born in one country versus another country or one race versus another race, in this life, you will have tribulation. You are going to go through trials in life. There is zero question about this subject. If you're not going through trials tonight, maybe you're just blessed. If you're not going through trials tonight, maybe you should not get up in the morning. If you're not going through trials tonight, Maybe somebody you know is, and you're suffering through those pains with them. And so by default, you are. But the fact of the matter is, we're going to go through trials, and realistically, nothing causes us to grow like a good old-fashioned trial. And so tonight, I pray that you'll derive some strength, gain some joy, Maybe even put a smile on your face before we're done tonight. Because tonight, a comfort for every trial. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the life of the Apostle Paul. Lord, for those that have gone before us. Lord, those that have paved the way in ministry. Going back 2,000 years up into our present time. Those that have mentored us and spoken into our lives. Those that have helped us when we've gone through a trial or a tribulation, when we've been tested beyond what we thought we could bear, Lord, thank you for you proving yourself faithful through it all. And pray tonight you'd speak to us, bless us as we hear your word, cause us to breathe it in deeply. Lord, soak it in to the fiber of our beings. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Verse 3, looking back one verse to last week. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Amen? That's a title. That's not just a statement. It's not just talking about God's character. It, It is a title. He is the God of all comfort. The problem is comfort comes in a lot of different styles, doesn't it? Sometimes God comforts us in our tribulation. Sometimes God comforts us by pulling us out of that same tribulation. And sometimes God comforts us by really letting us be troubled and in tribulation. Amen? Because he chastens those whom he loves. Amen? So even when bad things happen to good people... The God of all comfort is still on the throne of heaven. 
He is never not the God of all comfort. How he chooses to comfort his people is up to him. When he chooses to step into your situation is up to him. What he does to comfort you is up to him, but he is the God of all comfort. Our problem is this. Our first proclivity is to ask God the why question. Why me? Why now? Why this? Why them? We want to know why God allows things to happen in our lives. And I can tell you, having walked with the Lord for a long time, God rarely, if ever, explains to us specifically the why and very specifically when we're going through that trial. Sometimes we find out in hindsight, but most of the time the question really for us is not why, because let's face it, we're all sinners and we deserve judgment, amen? Amen. So all of us deserve to go through every trial we ever go through, and in fact God should, if he was really going to act on his total justice at any moment, he would be right to actually punish us most of the time, amen? Amen. So the question is not really why, because we deserve most everything we get, in one way or shape or form, but what, God, are you wanting to perfect in me? What are you doing in my life so that you see this is necessary, either either, either having caused it directly or allowed it passively, what, God, are you doing with this trial? What is it that you want to accomplish in me, in my friends, in my family, in this church, in our city, in our state, in our nation, in our world. Lord, what are you doing for your good because you are the God of all comfort? That becomes the place that we start as we look at the rest of this passage. Verse 4, who comforts us in all our tribulations. Notice it doesn't say in the tribulations that you don't deserve. Or it doesn't say in the tribulations that others bring upon you. It just simply says all. That God is there in the midst of every last tribulation that you will ever go through. That we, and notice the that, circle it. There is a causative reason that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble. If you want a reason, a general reason, if you want a purpose, a general purpose, if you want a basic answer to the what question, here it is. God lets you go through things so that when the person next to you goes through those things, you might just have an answer for them. In other words, you become a tool in the hand of the master to deal with other people's problems as they go through those very same things that you've already been through. Notice what it says. With the comfort by with which we ourselves have been comforted by God. In other words, God wants to use your trials in other people's lives. You're probably going, well, Pastor Jeff, I didn't sign up for that. I don't think that was part of the deal, being saved by grace through faith. 
I didn't see that when I said yes to Jesus. I didn't know that was coming my way. But let me give you a little insight. What would make you most like Jesus than something that makes you exactly like him in suffering? That when you go through something, it is for someone else's comfort. Is that not what the cross was? Jesus was innocent when he died on Calvary's cross. He suffered the death of the cross, being completely innocent, not for his own salvation, but for mine. Not for his healing, but for mine. Not for his cleansing, but for mine. And so sufferings, in a very tiny way, allow us to be a little bit like Jesus to other people. We've suffered so they can be comforted. We've gone through trial so that they can know there's hope. As for the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. In other words, there's an equal measure of suffering and consolation. God does not just give us suffering. He gives us consolation. He's there in the midst of that trial. And you may not like how he is in the midst of that trial, but he nonetheless is in the midst of that trial with you. Because his word is clear, he will never leave us nor forsake us, says the Lord. There were not three in the fire with Daniel. There were four, and one was like unto the Son of Man. Amen? So in that fiery furnace, God was with Daniel. Daniel didn't deserve to be there. Daniel was a righteous man. And in fact, the reason he was in the fire was because he was righteous. He dared enough to stand when others knelt. He was willing to speak the truth when others were willing to speak a lie. Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation. I want you to notice this. It is for your That can be taken two ways. Personal to the individual, or if it is as it appears in the original language, Paul's actually speaking about other people. Not just the one going through it, but for anyone else who meets that person. Which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Do you see the strength being built up in the body of Christ through the afflictions of the Apostle Paul? One of the things that I very often talk with young believers about is this issue of suffering because there's kind of this false understanding because you see it on TV programs. You, you watch it with false teachers as they try and make millions of dollars by putting forth a prosperity doctrine you see, the Apostle Paul, perhaps one of the greatest saints who's ever walked the face of the earth, went through hell. He died impoverished. He was so beaten and bruised that when we get to his struggles and trials and tribulations later in this book, you're going to go, 
man, if I knew that going in, I'm not sure I would have wanted to be an apostle. The fact of the matter is, your whole life is no longer about you. As a believer, your life is now hidden in Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I live, I now live for him. And so God wants to show other people what he can do. In essence, this passage is saying, God wants to brag on you a little bit about what you've been through. You know, we use that phrase, testimony. And it usually means that someone's going to explain their BC days, their before Christ days, and then tell you what happened after the fact. Amen? That's kind of the picture that's here. It's like I used to be. And that's why the Apostle Paul in Romans, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians, and the Apostle Paul, as he writes to the church at Galatia, uses this phrase and indicates, and such were some of you, past tense, but you were washed. And so all those things, those struggles, those trials that you have gone through and are going through are so useful to other people. Because you could say it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. I've walked a few miles down that road. And let me tell you, God is good. And God is faithful. Or if we are comforted, it's for your consolation and salvation. So whether you're afflicted or whether you're comforted, it's for the purpose of not only strengthening you, but strengthening others. And our hope for you is steadfast. Because we know that as you are partakers of sufferings, so also you will partake of consolation. Is that a benefit to you, I hope and pray? If you're going through that difficult time, maybe you're going through it tonight. Can I tell you that when you're a participant in the sufferings that we go through as believers on this earth, you're also going to be a partaker in the consolation that comes. The consoling, the holding of your soul, the grabbing of your emotions and your feelings, your very being, and God saying, Jeff, it's going to be okay. One of the great glories of parenthood is those moments when you get a chance to hold your children when the world comes crashing down, they didn't get invited to that party with their friends. And it seems as though the gates of Hades have opened up and there will be no birthday cake. And to them, it's the end of the world. And you just grab them because you know that there's going to be more birthday parties. And you just grab hold of your child and you it's going to be okay. Maybe it was just a miscue. Maybe we didn't see the end. There was something going on. And you just hold them and they know that they know that they know because dad and mom have got them. It's going to be okay. Amen? That's the picture here. God wants to say to you tonight, he's got you. He has you. Now, maybe you don't feel like that right now. Maybe you don't see that right now. But God has you right now. For we do not want you to be ignorant, verse 8 says, brethren, of our trouble 
which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure above strength so that we even despaired of life, yes, that would be a statement of suicidal or homicidal tendency. The great apostle Paul, along with those with him, had thoughts that they despaired of their own life. He's like, I don't know that I can go on. I don't know that I can endure another day. I'm not sure I can make it. Lord, it would be better if I didn't wake up in the morning. And like it or not, in our human condition, there are times when we get pressed to that place. It's like, Lord, this is too much. And yet we bump up against the truth of Scripture that says there is no temptation, but that which is common to man, and in it there's a way of escape. That he has thoughts towards you and they're a future and a hope. Even when things seem hopeless, his thoughts towards you are still a future and a hope. He is the God of all comfort. Even in the midst of those difficult times. Don't miss this for yourself. Because sometimes when we're going through those trials and we want to give up, we want to give in, we want to get going. It's like, I'm done with this Christian thing. It was easier when I was a heathen. Can I tell you, it was probably easier when you were a heathen. Because some of the things that you now experience are directly because you have trusted Christ. Because now the world actually hates you because it hates him. The world is against you because it's against him. People that used to call you friends now are no longer friends because you are friends with the Lord and they are still friends with the enemy. You're going to go through things specifically because you are a believer. That's our lot. That's who we are as as the body of Christ. And sometimes it gets heavy. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves. And I want you to notice what he says, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Can I tell you that at the end of every single trial, there's a truth that you need to remember? That if necessary, God could even raise you from the dead. He has the power to raise you back to life. If the enemy were to try and kill you, it is appointed unto you one time to die and then judgment. God has your expiration date firmly in hand. And you are not leaving this earth until he says it's time. Now, does that mean that everyone lives to be 114? No. Does that mean that sometimes children die? Yes. But the truth is, behind all of that, there is a God who could, if he chooses, because it's his will that you continue on, he could raise you from the dead. We need to remember that because it gives us boldness in the face of these things that come against us. Sometimes, you know, every once in a while I'll get an email and people say, you know, well, you could get killed over there. You could get, you know, do you know how dangerous it is? There is an article in this month's National Geographic about El Salvador. It is still next to Colombia and Venezuela, Venezuela being the top, 
that these are some of the most dangerous countries in the world that are, that are not at full-fledged war. Well, why do you go there? Because nobody else wants to. Because people are afraid. Because they're worried about their own life. The child of God should not be worried about incessantly their own life. It doesn't mean that we don't take risk assessments and we don't do smart things with regard. You know, I don't go down to El Salvador, you know, with an 18th Street gang sign on my shirt and go into MS-13 territory and start, you know. (laughs) That's called stupidity. But you know what? Those guys in the 18th Street gang need Jesus. And the guys in MS-13 need Jesus. And people without Jesus need Jesus. So wherever, wherever there's people without Jesus, we should probably go tell them about Jesus. Amen? You don't have to worry about your life because God's worrying about your life. Be smart. Be wise. Don't do dumb things. Don't test God. But don't walk around in fear. who delivered us from so great a death, past tense, delivered us, and does deliver us, present tense, check this out, and in whom we trust that will still deliver us, guess what that is? Future tense. Your past is covered by God, your present is covered by God, your future is covered by God. He did deliver you. He's delivering you now and he will always deliver you according to his plan and purpose. That is his promise. You don't have to worry about it. You see, those things that we call accidents look like accidents from earth, but they don't look like accidents from heaven. Those things that look like tragedies from earth, from our perspective, are tragedies, but from heaven, they're God's allowance. Because he's either sovereign or he's not. He either can control all things and does or he doesn't. And so if God is who he says he is, then I believe that there are exactly two things that can happen in this world with regard to every single thing that ever happens. God either causes it or God allows it. And there are no other choices if you believe in a sovereign God. In either case, guess what? God's in it. God's in it. Whether he directly causes it or whether he allows it, he's in it. So we turn back to this passage. It says, he did deliver you in times past. He is delivering you today and he will deliver you in the future. That sounds like a consolation of a delivering God to someone who wants us to have tremendous confidence and be comforted. Amen? You also helping together. Only time in the entire New Testament, this one word that's broken into two English words, helping together, is found. Helping together in prayer for us. Don't you ever let anyone tell you that your prayers don't matter. It is not a trite thing when you say, I will pray. So long as you do it, it's a trite thing if you don't. But there's nothing better that you can do than pray for anyone about anything. 
Because that is asking for the resources of heaven. You doing something on this earth is also good, but I'd rather have the resources of heaven brought to bear than the resources that I may have in my control. So pray, helping together in prayer for us that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. Amazing passage of scripture. In the New Testament, there are actually 10 basic words. They all roughly mean suffering. The three most common are in front of you. They mean affliction, tribulation, and trouble. But the most common one flips us. It's a very unique word, and it actually doesn't even kind of come out in English like suffering. It actually is narrow, confined, and under pressure. It's what we would call squeezed, hemmed in, pressurized. Most of you know if you take anything, especially fluid, and you compress it, the pressure increases. And in fact, every piece of earth-moving equipment on the face of the earth uh, works primarily by fluid-filled cylinders that are brought up to pressure, which causes an arm to move in or out, depending on which way a little valve is on that arm, that allows millions of pounds of earth to be moved by a single piece of machinery every day. Pressure has tremendous ability to do both good and bad. That same pressure, if it happens to come down on your car, guess what it does? It smashes your car flat. It's bad. But that pressure can also move that dirt so you can build a highway or build a house. Dig a foundation. Pressure can be used for both good and bad things. Pressure itself is not bad. It's how you use pressure and what you allow pressure to do that dictates whether it's good or bad. So when you think of affliction and you think of tribulation and you think of trouble, think of pressure. And the fact is, we are all squeezed at times. Amen? Their finances squeeze us, your marriage relationship can squeeze you, your relationship with your children can squeeze you. Sometimes we get squeezed by our government, literally. We do, right? You're kind of like, oh, I don't know if I can give anymore. I answered an email today. Somebody that didn't know about some of the new tax things that took place. And, you know, and you're filling out your taxes. And some of you who are used to getting the personal exemptions, you notice something this year? You didn't get those. You got a higher personal deduction, but you didn't get a personal exemption. So that person I was talking to got squeezed because they were planning on something. They weren't paying attention, so they got squeezed. And in getting squeezed, they're like, oh man, I got to write this huge check. Well, it's because they were taking more deductions than they were supposed to have on their tax, and people have been doing that for decades. And so there's a little bit of squeezing going on. Lincoln's eyes are kind of popping out a little bit. We get squeezed. You go into the grocery store and you start shopping. There's a little bit of squeezing goes on. 
Some of us have been around. I don't know how many of you have been around long enough to remember the Wonder Bread stores. But you could go get day-old bread. It was 10 cents a loaf. It's now, if you get the really good, it's 10 bucks a loaf, amen? It's like, yeah, but it's got multigrains and antioxidants. I just want good old white bread so I can put my peanut butter on it, man. You're getting kind of squeezed. Maybe your health is squeezing you. Maybe literally it's your heart and your heart's being squeezed. Had a little too much bacon. You've been to men's ministry too much. (laughs) See you guys Saturday. (laughs) We're all squeezed. As we read this, Paul uses an interesting word that also means squeezed. And instead of using thlipsis, he uses pathema. And from that Greek word, we get empathy and sympathy, both those things, having feeling for and having compassion for someone else's difficulty. You see, suffering is supposed to give you both empathy and sympathy for other people who are going through things. There is nothing that changes your attitude like going through something yourself. You want to be cured of being judgmental? You want to be cured of looking at other people and and you're going, well, how come them, Lord? Wait until you go through all the things they've gone through and all of a sudden you are pretty compassionate. Tender, loving, kind. You look at it, man, I remember what it was like to be squeezed that way. I remember what it was like to go through that problem, that difficulty, that trial. Paul felt that, and the only way he could look was up. Amen? And I want to, for just a moment, look at three possibilities. I don't believe there's any others. Because everything that you go through in life really is a divine appointment. You may not see it that way. But as far as a believer is concerned, because all things work together to the good for those who love God and are the called according to his purpose, everything is a divine appointment. Everything. God either causes it or he allows it. So everything is a divine appointment. Now you're probably going, well, I don't like some of God's appointments. (laughs) He made some appointments that I didn't want to keep. He put some things on my Outlook calendar that I'd like him to erase, take off. I never accepted that meeting. We have our own server system here, and we run Microsoft Office 365, and in there there's these little meeting requests. And because I'm who I am, I get to dictate whether I accept or reject meetings. And they come, and there's a little red X, and there's a little green check, and it says, do you want to notify sender? Going, yeah, I want to notify sender. I ain't coming. (laughs) I don't do that. And I wouldn't do that with God. You see, God's sending you some meeting notices notices that you'd like to check the red X. Nope, not coming. But God's saying, you know what, Jeff, you need this appointment. You need this trial. You need this struggle. You need to go through this because there are probably thousands of people in the church that are going through that thing. And they need to know that I am good. And if I can get you through it, I can get them through it. It's the focus of this passage. 
And it's so beautiful to us when we rightly apply it. Three basic ways that I think God works here. One is if all of our trials were just simply the product of fate or chance, that I'm telling you our only recourse would be to give up. I often talk to people who say they don't believe in God and I ask them a simple question, why do you not take your own life? Because if everything is fate or chance, then we should despair of life all day, every day. Because if you're getting up in the morning, snake eyes, double sevens, yeah, I'm going to get a blessing today. I got three fours. You realize how crazy that is? That's nuts. None of you would go, and I don't want any of you going to a casino, period, but you're not going in there and there's a quarter with your name. It's like, this is my quarter. And you put it in there, and if it does not come up triple sevens, you die. None of you are pulling that lever, amen? Well, your life is not like that. It's not random chance. It's not somebody behind the scenes tweaking the odds. There's a God in heaven who loves you. A second way that you could look at this is we actually have control ourselves. That is just almost a joke, isn't it? I can't control whether I get to work on time. Serious as a heart attack. doesn't matter which way I go. You know, I've got all these little routes the back way. You know, I go down Knox and over to Normandy, and then I duck and I take Arlington, and I try and get behind all the heavy traffic areas. And I, Connie always beats me by getting on the freeway. <laughs> it's like I can't control anything. It's disgusting. Why? Because guess what? I don't know everything. I have no idea what accident happened. I have no idea who dug up the street. I have no idea who crashed into one another. I have no idea what light is broken down. I have no idea about anything when it really comes down to it. Amen? You don't control your life. If you think you do, you need to go see somebody about that. Seriously. You do not control your own life. You could be dead tonight. Let me just mess with everybody, you don't control your own life. And whether you think you do or think that someone else does or whether there's fate or chance, the fact of the matter is there's not a person in this room who doesn't know somebody who died suddenly. Why is that? Because we don't control our own lives. You don't get to fill out a ticket when you're born. Well, I'd like to live to be 106. And I'm going to do everything in my power. No, it's not. I've talked to people, and I don't want to laugh about this, but it is pretty funny. <laughs> I had this guy that was trying to sell me on all of this. It's like a regimen of vitamins and healthy chocolate. And I'm like thinking, healthy chocolate? That's an oxymoron. And, and, you know, like Nani juice and, you know, I mean, he went through all these things 
And, and, and he's telling me, you know, if you just, you know, you're going to live to be 100 years old. And I'm going, well, who wants to do that? And he handed me the paperwork. I said, I'm going to die from a heart attack from the five jobs to make that kind of money. <laughs> like, that is not happening. Worry would kill me if I thought I actually could control everything myself. But there is a third way. Actually, we believe God. And he actually has everything under control. He's really governing the universe, as he says. He, he for sure uh, applies that James 1 principle. Count it all joy, brothers, when you fall into diverse trials. Sisters, when you fall into diverse trials... Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, and patience, when it has its completed work in you, leaves you lacking nothing. I actually believe that. I believe God has everything under control. Now, do I act on that perfectly? Just like most of you, probably not some of the time. But I'm getting better as I get older. I'm getting to that place where it's like, been through that one before. You can't get me on this one, devil. There's an interesting thing, and for those of you that are golfers, us golf people who like to hit the little white ball every once in a while, when golf balls were first invented, they were perfectly smooth. And as golf started getting popular, they realized something that the balls that they hit into rough places or into rocks or other things and they got scuffed up actually went farther than the perfectly smooth ones. They realized that that those rough spots actually broke up the friction of the air on the golf ball so that they could travel further and so they could actually be controlled in which way they went, right or left. Hence, if you look at a golf ball today, it's got little dimples all over it. All kinds of different patterns. All those little holes on there, those are there for a reason. They're not smooth for a reason. And the reason a golf ball is not smooth is the same reason your life is not smooth. Because roughing you up a little bit makes you go further. Makes you go a few places you wouldn't otherwise go makes you controllable by the spirit. With me, I can put a little backspin on a golf ball. If I want it to stick on a green, if that ball was smooth, there is no way I could do that. You see, trials are purposeful in your life. They're useful in your life. They're useful in my life. You can ask Connie. We've been, we've been getting roughed up a little bit lately. And I'll leave the details out because it's really not important, but I understand why. Because here in this church, we still teach the word of God. We, we actually go through the Bible and believe that the Bible is truth. And when you do that, you know, if I were just getting up here and preaching fluffy messages to where you guys went away like you got a nice bag of cotton candy every time you came to service, I can tell you we're probably not going to get challenged much. But Romans 8, 28, it's applicable. Really, all things do work together for the good. God allows that buffeting to bring about blessing in your life and in mine. 
God's difficulties in that sense are actually errands for you that God wants to send you on. Don't know how many of you have grown up, maybe you worked in some form of a trade, and this would apply, this analogy, this metaphor, would apply across a lot of different skills. It really doesn't matter where you apply it. But in construction trades, almost every part of this construction industry, the first thing that you learn how to do is clean up the job site. Dig ditches, pick up trash, clean up after other people. Why is that? Because you learn how to work neat. You learn how to put your tools back. You learn that everything that's out of place costs you time and time costs you money. You see, it's those errands that you're sent on by the foreman that help you get roughed up a little bit that seem like they're no use at all that actually cause you to really be good later. The same would be true in medicine. The same would be true in all forms of medicine. Nursing. You, you get to clean some bedpans. You, you get to do all the things nobody else wants to do in medicine. God sends us on errands. And those errands are purposefully hard. They are purposefully difficult. They sometimes hurt. And most of the time, you don't actually like them, but they are so that when you get to the real deal, you are ready for it. You're ready for the job. You're ready for what God has in store. Four truths that I think we can pull from this passage before we begin to close. It is true that God is ultimately in control of everything. Paul seems to be almost weighted down like a beast of burden. He was going through things. You know, you and I could sit there and try and imagine in our day and time. Imagine you go home and the 60 Minutes news crew is in your front yard. You're freaking out a little bit, amen? You know, or you're, you're, you're going home. I don't know if you guys, you know, ever listen to the news on the radio. Please don't do that while you're driving. It's bad for your health. But you're listening to the radio and... and you know, they're, they're trying to give us the emergency routes out of the Los Angeles County. That's going to be a bad day. You know, you're, you're thinking, where is the Lord in all of this? There, there's a lot of things that you can look at. You know, Connie and I were up at Lake Isabella many, many years ago, and we didn't know it, but somehow we managed to pick the same weekend as the Hells Angels convention. And we're in their campground. And we are the only people who are not stoned and drunk and riding Harleys. And, and I remember we went into this restaurant. And everybody in there is a hell's angel. And generally speaking, they were pretty nice, except when they came to eat the food off our table. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, no, this is not happening. This is my, and I'm thinking, oh, yes, it's happening. Right now, right here. Like, how can it be that we're trying to get away and who do we bump into? The very people we're trying to get away from.
God's in control of that stuff. I didn't catch him by surprise. It caught me by surprise. It caught us by surprise. Paul actually says here he had a sentence of death in himself. Not that we should trust in ourselves, but in God who raises us from the dead. At the end of the day, you just got to trust God. At the end of the day, you have to trust God. A second truth that is also true. That whatever God allows in your life, God allows you to endure. The first thing often that God does is show us how weak we are, amen? Anybody ever found out that you're weak by going through something? Yeah. I think it's the number one way that God shows us we need him. Jeffrey Gill, you can't handle this. You're not able to take care of this on your own, so what do I have to do? Lord, help. I want to endure this. I want to get through this. I need you to get me through this. He's not just asking us to die and be complacent and, you know, go sit on a street corner someplace. He's just saying, look, through the whole of the ordeal, I'm with you in it. You're going to have to trust me. I'm going to get you through this. Chief case in point from the Old Testament is Abraham and Sarah. You talk about a couple that should have given up. There's no wonder Isaac got called Isaac, meaning laughter. It's like, oh, seriously? Now? You can imagine Sarah. It's like, no, not now. Uh Uh-uh. Paul's going to tell us later in chapter 7, they're troubled on every side with fightings and wars and fears. he's, He's going to be pressurized like you can't imagine. But Paul shows us what to do. He says, look, you, you have to pray. You have to search the scriptures. You have to seek counsel. You have to rely on the Holy Spirit. But you've got to know that God's going to get you through it. You have to keep in mind that Paul was hated. He was seen as a, as a turncoat, someone who had been a devout Jew, a member of the Sanhedrin, a, a member of the Pharisees. He, he was involved in the religious ruling of Jerusalem And now he's this radical guy who's of the way. He's a Christian. You talk about somebody who's public enemy number one, and look where he's going back to. When we left 1 Corinthians, that first letter, where is he headed? Back to Jerusalem, the place where he's most hated. He was so hated in Jerusalem that the book of Acts records that he was put on trial in Caesarea Maritima and he was there for almost three years before he shipped off to Rome because he was hated in Jerusalem. So where's he going? Well, that's not stopping me. That's why in Acts 24, none of these things, none of them moved him. A third thing. Ultimately, please circle in your notes the word ultimately. I didn't say immediately. I didn't say initially. I didn't say when you want. And neither does your Bible. But your Bible does teach that ultimately God delivers us from every trial. And you're going, well, he hasn't delivered me. And that's because he's not done yet. 
And it's probably that attitude that might be adding to the fact that you're still in it. And I speak from experience. It's like when, when I start to challenge God's authority to leave me in trials, guess what he does? Eternal, temporal. I got a lot longer than you, Jeff. You know, God, God's got the ability to suffer long and be kind. I'm just thinking every bit of suffering is him not being kind. Amen? But that's not what it is. He's going to deliver. It may be that he delivers you from that trial. But it could also be that he's going to deliver you in that trial. God's deliverance sometimes is nothing more than a response to our faith. When our faith finally comes into view, God says, you got it. And again, I speak from practical, personal experience. I'm comforting you with the comfort that I've gotten from God. Jeff, when you get this lesson, I'm going to let up. But until you get this lesson, you're going to have to keep learning it. Because you need to learn it. And I know that. And you don't. Because you're not listening. And so God says, okay, you can, you can stay in this. You see, sometimes he just snatches us out of that trial. Because our trials don't always come as a result of our own doing, amen? Sometimes trials come to us because of other people. Sometimes trials come to us because of our own sinfulness, our own foolishness. We are truly KFC knuckleheads for Christ, amen? Every time you go by KFC, just remember that, knuckleheads for Christ. And go get a bucket of chicken. But sometimes we go through those things because we deserve to go through them. You've sinned against the Lord. You know you've sinned against the Lord, and so God allows you to go through a trial. Sometimes someone else sins against the Lord. Maybe you're married to somebody who sinned against the Lord, and you're going through a trial right now because you're losing your home. And your spouse has not done what God's asked him to do, and that's the reason that's happening. But God's still going to deliver you. He's still got an answer. His hands are not tied because of our foolishness. Sometimes, and I think maybe even a vast majority of the times, God delivers us in the trial. He doesn't pull us out of it. He doesn't stop it. He just allows us to grow so much that that trial no longer seems like a trial. It's the James 1 thing. Count it all joy when you fall into those diverse trials because you're going to get something out of it that you would have not otherwise gotten. I can tell you in my own personal life, a vast majority of my compassion has come from being mistreated. Beaten up falsely accused, all kinds of stuff. And I don't see that so anyone would feel guilty about any of that or that anyone would feel sorry for me because I don't feel sorry for me. I count it all joy. It's like, Lord, I needed to know those things. And I needed to know them in a way that you could change me to be compassionate. To be the person I am today is a direct result of going through those difficulties. Being hurt does that. So in that case, even in my own life as an example, 
God delivered me in that trial from being someone who was cynical. Being someone who defaulted to mean-spiritedness. Being someone who really didn't like other people, actually. I remember as a child, I did not like other people. One of the reasons I started rock climbing and being a backpacker when I was in my early teens, barely a teenager, was because I didn't like other people. I believed with all of my heart people were evil, especially people related to me. So if you were in my family, forget it. I don't want anything to do with you. I know how I can get away. I'll go rock climbing and backpacking because the only person out there is me. And God had to deliver me from that. I didn't say, you know what? I actually put you on this planet for people. Be a good idea if you actually liked them. And so he did. Some loneliness will do that. Some personal pain will do that. Some internal hurt and turmoil will do that. You see, God wants, just like the poor man in Psalm 34, when that poor man cried out, the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The fourth thing, God's actually glorified in our troubles. He's glorified your trials. Now you're saying to yourself, I don't want him to be glorified. Well, the truth is he is. As he builds your faith, as he grows you, as you become more useful to the king and to his kingdom, he's actually glorified in the trials that you've gone through. Because now you can take those things and you can comfort people who are going through the same thing. When someone comes to me and they say, well, you know, I don't feel like anybody loves me. I can comfort them. I go, you know, I know exactly what that feels like. I can have sympathy for them. I can have empathy for them. Because I've been through it. I know what it's like. I know where in your soul that burns. So what happens is God's glorified. Let me help you. It's going to be okay. And usually what happens is they come to that same place because I'll tell them, it's like, you know what I had to do? I had to remind myself that they're like that because they need Jesus. They're hurting on the inside. And until they find him, this is what people do. So God wants to use your trials. He's going to be glorified through them. He's going to grow you. And finally, we see the power of praying people. A missionary friend from Colombia, and we were we were talking about the ministry there in his little city. And as I was sharing with them, they began sharing about the history of his children. And he has one daughter, very specifically that has an extremely severe and very, very, very rare blood disease that every moment of every day, she is in threat of death. Every moment of every day, she's in threat of death. 
She has basically no immune system. And so he was saying when she was born, the doctors told her, and told, told the parents rather, and then she found out later, that she had less than one in 10,000 chance of living past the age of 14. That her immune system was just so diminished that there was just literally no chance she was ever going to be a teenager. She today is 31. And he was saying they couldn't afford medical care. And in their town, they really didn't have a hospital anyway. But they did have a church that prayed. And he says, my daughter's alive today, not because of medicine, not because of drugs. And by the way, medicine can do miracles. God can use medicine miraculously. But in this case, it was nothing but the power of praying people. People who said, we're not going to let your daughter die without a fight in heaven. We're serious. We're going to pray. They met every single day. Someone went to the church and prayed for her for one hour for 10 years. I can tell you I kind of gulped a little bit and thought, wow. Maybe we don't take seriously the power of praying people. That's what that Greek word means. Sympergio. It means to help together. Now I can tell you there's only one way that all of us every day can help together. There's exactly one way. As far as the kingdom is concerned. And that's the power of praying people. You know, sometimes people will come and say, well, we want to, you know, we want to pray in the sanctuary or we want to have some specific place. Can I tell you, your prayers are not conditioned on where they come from. They're conditioned on the heart that is inclined towards the Lord. You can pray from anywhere at any time. There is a power to praying people. And I think sometimes we almost think like that's a cop-out. It's like, well, you know, that's, I'm just going to pray. No, I truly believe the best thing you can do most of the time is to pray. Yes, the Lord may give you some practical thing that he lays on your heart for you to actually do. But that word is composed of really three English words, with, under, and work. Here's the head. We're all under him. We gather together and we work. We help together in prayer. So when you pull those missionary contact bookmarks out of the foyer, take them home and pray. When you know we have people in the mission field, pray for them because they're probably going to go through trials. When Connie and I are away, we're doing something in the mission field someplace, please, in Jesus' name, Pray for us because we are going to be attacked. Most likely it will be first that there will be a bed that's slightly softer than concrete itself. And we're old. And so there's this thing about not sleeping for a week. I'm just, simple things. It's true. When you don't sleep, 
It's really hard. You, you, you get up and you're like, I would love to teach right now, but I'm having a tough time actually moving my neck. Pray. You're helping to carry the load of someone else. That's what with, under, together working means. You're grabbing part of their load in the heavens and going, let me help with that. When you know someone's sick, with, under, help them carry part of their load. Pray. And I'm not asking you to do something that's out of your comfort zone because I really believe you can talk to God 24-7 if you want to. I pray when I'm driving. Sometimes I, I pray when I'm just sitting. Sometimes I get on my knees and pray. Sometimes I go to a dark place because I'm a squirrel boy and I have to, you know, I can't see anything else. And I pray. Sometimes I, I, I'm just with other people and it's just an attitude of prayer, a spirit of prayer, and we're praying, but it's a with, under, help with other people for everything you can think of. Because people need it. They're going through difficult times. We have a servant's heart report that comes out. It usually has 30, 40, 50 people on it. We have people dying every single day, it seems like. We have people with cancer. Maybe you can't take time to go to Bible college. You can't take time to go to seminary. You can't take time to be, you know, to give up your chosen profession. And maybe it's not even what God wants but I can tell you, you can with under help with prayer. You absolutely can with under help with prayer. You can come underneath and pray. And God wants us to do that because sometimes my load seems like it's too heavy. Just being honest. I think most pastors that are honest will tell you, sometimes the burdens of ministry seem like there is no chance this comes to a good end. Because there are so many people that need help. There are so many things that need to be done. There is so much to do. At the end of the day, we're privileged because God delivers us out of them. But I'll tell you what, I know that it's the with, under, help most of the time that gets Connie and I through the staff through Rob and Pat and Dennis, and Brandon and Jimmy and Dwight and Robin, and Isaac and Nacho and Lester. And you just go on. We need your with under help. We need your actual help. But I believe that if we look at this power that's available to us, we can see that difficulties can increase our faith. They can strengthen our lives. They can cause us to draw closer to the Lord. And they can definitely glorify God. So when you're going through something, first thing, with, under, help, pray. Second thing, trust God. He's got a plan. Third thing, know he's going to deliver you. Fourth thing, Look for how he's going to glorify himself through your trial. And as you do, you'll, you'll grow. Amen? Would you stand and we'll pray together?
I'll have a couple of pastors up front and available. Maybe you're going through a trial and you need some with under help. You need someone to pray with. After service, come forward. Maybe you don't even know what that help looks like because you don't know the Lord. Maybe you need to come and surrender your life to Jesus tonight. Come and get the best help you'll ever have. But thank God for his trials. Now you take those trials and be a comfort to someone else. Father, thank you. Thank you for the trials of life. Lord, that's not easy to say. And we admit that we struggle sometimes with giving you glory in them. And so we're asking you to increase our patience. Let that patience have good and fruitful work in us, leaving us complete, lacking nothing. God, we're grateful for what you're doing through us as a church. And we pray that you'd protect us from the enemy. Lord, as he comes to overwhelm, to overflow the banks of the rivers of our lives, God, would you hold back the storm? Would you keep us in your ever watchful eye? Lord, when the enemy seeks to destroy, would you build up? When he seeks to lie, would you speak truth? Lord, when we are without, would you give that we might get through? Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We bless you. And God's people all said, Amen. Amen.